that comes to prayer uh, and this Wednesday night prayer group. Uh, I hope you are excited about it. I, I hope that you uh, catch a vision for what God desires. I, I knew an, an evangelist in South America, uh, served there for many years, and he was doing a huge um, have tent meetings, revival services, and the first night, uh, two little old ladies showed up and sat in the back, and they were o- the only two people there. The man was devastated, wondering what is wrong. We advertised, we, we thought that we were going to get great support. And that night, he, uh, he preached the sermon that he had planned, and uh, at the end, uh, as he was praying to close, he said, the Lord is telling me that you ladies are supposed to do something this morning, and I don't know what it is. They're, you're supposed to do something. But whatever God is telling you, you have to do it. The first lady got up, walked to the front of the church, knelt down by the altar, and hit it. Turned around and walked out. The second lady followed her down, knelt at the altar, and hit it, and walked out. Now, why is God going to tell these ladies to hit that altar? I do not have a clue. All I know that that evangelist told me that the next night the place was packed, hundreds and hundreds of people, and it was a great revival. Hundreds came to the Lord in that city. Uh, the scripture that I've chosen to start with today is from Mark chapter 11. And you remember in the Old Testament when uh, Israel was told to go in and take the land and, and uh, uh, Moses sent spies. And then you remember later when it, they didn't enter and they were in the wilderness all those years, Joshua sent spies. Well, we're going to talk about a situation here where Jesus himself spies out the land. Mark 11, verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around upon all the things that were happening, and now the evening was come, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now you'll recognize that scripture as the point where Jesus has come into Jerusalem on the donkey. And it was a donkey that had never been ridden, and you remember he had told his disciples, you go and you... uh, you're going to go to a, a, a intersection, and you're going to find a colt tied that has never been ridden. Take him. And if somebody asks you, what are you doing with the colt? You tell them, the master has need of him, and he'll let you take him. And it's exactly as Jesus said. So you know Jesus did some good planning. And so this was all prepared. And so Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem. And when he gets in, this portion of Mark is... It's recorded in three different Gospels, but this is my favorite. So, in the next verse, verse 12, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto the tree, no man will eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. 
And Jesus, they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. Uh, Jesus is accusing these people of something. The place that they treasured most, they valued most, was the temple. And Jesus is accusing them of turning it into a den of robbers. And so, if you want to know where Jesus is quoting from, he's quoting the word of his father, Jeremiah 7, 8 through 11. The prophet uh, talks, uh, is speaking for the Lord, and he says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. And come, stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to, all, to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. Now, we're going to stop right there as far as the Scripture is concerned, because I always thought that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. He went in, he walked into the temple, he saw this, and just lost it. But as Mark is describing it, he went in and he looked around at everything that was taking place. It was evening, so he left and he went out. Now, Jesus is probably tired from all this preaching and teaching and all this stuff that's been going on. But I think that what happened that night was his disciples went to sleep, kind of like the garden, that whole garden story. Well, we're not going to go there. But I think that Jesus got out there, and he's looking at these scriptures, and he's saying, this is my Father's house. It's a house of prayer. Um, I think that Jesus was doing pretty much what I was doing last night after Pastor Joe contacted me and said, are you ready for tomorrow? And I said, I think so. And then I woke up at like two in the morning and the Lord changed my direction. I think that what happened was Jesus got out in that wilderness and he's looking at this and he's saying, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. This is, it's my father's house. It's his house. But you've made it a den of thieves. And what it was interesting is as, as he's looking around at them selling the sacrifices, this was the court where women were permitted. Ladies, isn't that neat? The place that the, not just the men, but the women were permitted in this court. And when we were in, uh, my wife and I traveled to Israel, uh, you know, they still have this place set up in a, in a particular play area where women cannot go. And so this is the place where women were permitted Gentiles were permitted. Anybody who, you didn't have to be Jewish to be in that part of the, the temple, and sacrifices were sold. The problem with the sacrifices being sold was they had raised, they had tripled and quadrupled the prices. How many of you have felt that way at the gas station lately? And so the prices are exorbitant. So the poor can't afford it. 
and they're cheating the poor. They're preventing the poor and those who don't. You got the haves and the haves nots. And so these people are not allowed in. And Jesus, as he's walking, he's thinking, it's your house. Father, it's your house. It's a house of prayer. What's going on here? Look at what they're doing. Look at all the, 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 the marketing that's going on. Look at all the, the, the vileness that's taking place. He thinks about it all night. When was the last time you had a sleepless night? Nobody? Wow. When was the last night you last time you spent the night in sleeplessness for God? And so when I woke up during the night, there was a, there was this unction on me, and I knew it was because Pastor Joe's praying for me. I knew it. I'm blaming you for my sleepless night. It was. I remember you preached recently, and you said about. You know, calling, you know, using Jesus' name in vain and not calling on Buddha or Allah. And then you said, try Joe DiVincenzo. And I made a comment and everyone laughed and you didn't know what it was. And the comment was, doesn't work, I've tried it. <laughs> the last time I golfed, I really was missing the ball. I was like, Joe DiVincenzo, it didn't work. And so I've, tur I've turned back and I don't think Jesus is too concerned about my golf game. And I don't know that you are either. But in Jeremiah... 6, verses 6 to 19, 16 to 19, excuse me. Uh, Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths. Where's the good way? And walk therein and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not. We will not walk in them. I have set watchmen over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. They're not going to listen. Therefore, hear ye nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon the people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened to my words, nor to my law, but they have rejected it. And so, there, you know, there's a decision that we need to make. Are we going to serve God or are we not? Are we going to go all out for God or aren't we? It's interesting because I heard a story long ago. I've preached this for 40 years because I've loved it and held on to it for so long. There was an old preacher and a young man had come to him and they were, they were talking about, uh, I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to serve God. I just can't seem to do it. I don't know what to do. And the conversation was going back and forth. You need the Spirit of the Lord. You can't do it in your own strength. He said, let's go for a walk. So they walked out on his, the man's property, the preacher's property, and there was a, a stream there. And he said, come over here. I want you to see this. And he said, check, look down here for a minute. And the guy got down. He said, get a little lower. And he got down, and he got lower. And the preacher grabbed him by the back of the head and pushed him under the water. He's trying to fight him, fight his way off. He's pushing harder. And the guy, finally, the guy with all his might throws the old man off him and and comes out, and he's coughing and sputtering, trying to catch his breath. And he said, why did you do that? And the preacher said, when you want to live godly like you want to breathe, you will. You, you're at your last breath, and you want to live, and you're trying to breathe, and you can't do it. And you're just gasping for that last breath. You're at your wit's end. And you've tried everything. 
The song talks about it. The song that we just sang talks about it. I, I can trust you when I'm on my knees. And we will look at these things and we will say, oh God, oh God, I want to live for you. But you'd rather have that last breath and you get that last breath, you're like, oh, I still have some time. And that's not the way that God wants it. He wants us to turn to Him. So in verse 20 of chapter 6 there, where that, this ends, the Lord says to them, to what purpose do you come to me with incense from Sheba and the sweet cane from far countries? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices are not sweet to me. And we could show you all kinds of other scriptures. You've heard them in recent weeks. How God deals with those who bring offerings but will not offer themselves. Will not give their all. Isaiah 56, 7. Speaking of the outcast. And this is the reason I asked Rod and them to sing that particular song today. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The outcast, those who, the, the Pharisees, uh, all these religious people, all these people who, who are wealthy, rich, have all the, all the stuff. And they look at them and they say, well, they're, they're nothing. Uh, I think that we... Uh, they've been to referred to politically recently as Walmart shoppers. And as this is happening, he says to them, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Well, who's going to be joyful in the house of prayer? Anybody have a clue? Those who love the Lord. The, the, the person who doesn't love the Lord I mean, while somebody's in prayer meeting on Wednesday night and they're crying out, oh God, you've got to help me. I want to be holy. And there's some, uh, someone who's there and they're like, oh, when's this going to end? He wants us to be joyful in the house of prayer. It's supposed to be joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. This day is holy to our God, Nehemiah 8.10. Do not grieve. The people were filled with grief over what had happened. You'll have to read the story. But the people of Israel are filled with grief. Grief, And the, uh, the writer says, don't grieve. This day is holy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Make food. Give to those who don't have any. Uh, uh, listen, you are not to be sorrowful this day. You should be happier in church than you are at the Ohio State game. I took a bunch of, t well, you weren't too happy, you lost. But we, we, 20 of us went to that game. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, well, I'm really sorry you lost, right? Because I'm just trying to soothe what's, what's taking place. But it's just a game. You think I'm going to care about football, how many championships we won when I stand before the Lord? You think that's going to mean a thing? And in Nehemiah 15 to 16, as they were re they had been called back, uh, I think Pastor Joe talked about this a little bit last week, when the, the enemy sees that the work is progressing of the rebuilding of the walls and all this great stuff is occurring, and the enemy knows, and in that verse says, so the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. It was amazing. And came to pass that when the enemies heard about it, all the heathen that were about us saw this. 
They were cast down in their own eyes. They were upset. Why? For they perceived the work was of God. Sometimes I have been saying for years, oh, people just don't know. They believe in a lie. But some people do know. And when they see that it's God doing the work, they're angered because it goes against everything they have wanted to believe in and trust in. So Matthew 21, Jesus says to them in verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, children crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They were... They hated this, said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yea, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. Now, Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture. Out of the mouths of babes, Psalm 8-2, thou hast ordained strength. Do you want to be a strong church? Do you want to be a strong family? Do you want to be a strong dad, a strong mom, a strong husband, strong wife, strong children? Is that what you want? Well, Jesus, as we read it here, it's almost misquoted. Out of the mouths of babes thou hast ordained strength, but, he, but it's recorded in Matthew as you have perfected praise. And then you understand, ah, perfect praise is strength. Nehemiah, right, again, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So if you perfect your praise, if you can and I can learn how to praise when it's falling apart, it, the song says, when I'm on my knees, how about when I'm on my face and can't move? How about when I'm on my back with sickness and I'm, I, I, I have pain, and people are praying for me that it has not been answered or if I'm suffering. We have some folks right here in the congregation who just recently have been in horrible pain. And you're fighting through it. And even through that pain, you're saying, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I love you. I want to serve you. That's where the strength comes from, and that's where it's been ordained. So what, I've been trying to get, what I'm trying to get to here is the attitudes within us. And so, just to share with you, a couple of verses just off the cuff. The heart is deceitful above all things, and who can know it? Your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things. Oh, I'm not going to hear any, many amens to that, but you know what? I don't really like that, so let's tear that one out. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. No way. Well, this one isn't in the Scripture, but how about forgive that guy that just cut you off on Route 70? Seek after holiness without which no man, no woman will see God. We've been studying Romans. If you haven't been there, you're missing it. 
God gave them over to vile affections. The women changed the natural use that was intended for them as goes against nature. Likewise, men burn and lust toward others. I'll tear out that whole chapter. And you know, before you know it, there's nothing left except your opinion and my opinion. So, as I was looking at this, I was thinking about what angers God and what angered Jesus that day, what angered the Lord God was that his house had been turned into a, a, a profit-making machine. The disciples in nine, chapter, Mark 9.33, the disciples were disputing over who would be greatest among them. A short time after that, and Jesus talking to them about being servants. And just after that, Jesus was teaching, and the people were bringing their children to be blessed. And the disciple says, get them away. The master's busy. After that, just a short time after that, they're arguing again. Can I have your right seat when you come into your kingdom? Can I have your left one? And Jesus looks and says, you guys don't get it. And these are disciples. These are ones who say they love the Lord and they want, they're calling him rabbi, teacher. They're traveling with him. Who, which of us will be greater? And Jesus told them, the children, the children. Uh, it was, I was very young in the Lord. I'd come out of the military, come out of uh, drug abuse and all, all the mess that that includes. And I remember I'd get, given my life to the Lord and I was trying to, to get right with God. I was trying to serve the Lord with all my heart. But, but I was just struggling so much. And one Sunday, at, at, there was an altar call, and the Lord had just spoken in my heart, and I came up. And it wasn't just a habitual thing for me. I mean, I just I, I was rest, just seeking him with all my heart, and I was crying out. And a good friend of mine came over, and, uh, and he said, leaned down, he said, put his arm around me. He said, Les, what's happening? And I said, oh, I said God is just speaking to me. I, I, I want to be right with him. I, I want to be holy. I want to serve him with my whole heart. But why am I so tired? I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, Les, dying is hard work. Because the old man in us doesn't want to die. The old man in us will cry out while you're trying to crucify him. You're trying to crucify the flesh. He's crying out. He says, I'll be good. I'll be good. Just don't kill me. But he's a liar. And you know it. We talked about people on Wednesday nights who come up and are confessing their sins one to another. But you know the proud man will not confess his sins to anybody else. Because he won't even confess his sins to God. And so what, we need to, what do we need to do? We need to come to the point where we just say, my pride needs to die with the old man. I, uh, it's a sad story for me. But when I first got saved, I was um, on a uh, Salvation Army gospel team. I learned to play guitar. My friend Mark had taught me, and we were really playing together, and the Lord had started giving me songs, and, I, and we started on a gospel team, and we left for the gospel team. I was so excited. And the the next morning, my pastor showed up at the, the camp up in the Pocono Mountains. He said, Les, i got to take you home. And I said, well, I have a car. 
Why didn't somebody just call me? Is there an emergency? What's up? And he just said, well, we just got to take it. And so on the way home, they told me that my dad had taken his life. And, uh, and so there's nothing more unnatural than suicide. And so as all this was taking place, I just looked at this and I just said, how could, how could this happen? What, what's going on? And I, and I remember my, um, my mom, who just loved the Lord so much, she said to me uh, after the funeral, when are you going back to the gospel team? I said, oh, no, Mom, I'm staying with you. And, and she said, oh, no, you're not. She said, this was everything you prayed for, all you hoped for. You were so excited about this, and you are, you are going back. And, you know, I was an adult. I, didn't, I, I was out of the military. I didn't have to listen to her. But I did. And most likely the reason I'm standing here today, fellowshipping with you folks, because I listened to my mother. Well, halfway through that summer, there was a pastor at one of the Salvation Armies who's, who pulled me aside and said to me, Les, what drugs are you still on? And I was devastated. It sounds funny, but I was devastated. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said to me, nobody can be as happy as you are unless they're on something. I was on something, all right. I was on the Holy Spirit. So anyhow, years later, I, I served, after we were in Zanesville, I served as a, an evangelist. And we had relatives down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, so I was invited to Lancaster to preach. And it's a big church there. And so I was all excited, and I got down. And you know me, I mean, I'm on the floor, pounding on the floor, and I'm walking, running around. You know, I'm real shy and real withdrawn. So, But anyhow, uh, afterwards, one of the people who have been in the uh, drug rehab centers of the Salvation Army said to my relative who had invited me, that man needs medicated. I know you've thought that sometimes too. Uh, but the, and so I looked at this and I, and I was like hurt by this again at first and then I thought, you know what? Those who are thinking in the flesh can't get it right. Because one thinks I'm on something and that's why I'm so happy and, and excited about the things of God and the Word and the Scripture. And the other look over and say, man, he needs to be on something to calm him down. Well, you know what? If I can go scream my brains out at a Penn State football game, I can shout for God in the house of God, can't I? And I can yell, there should be joy in the house of the Lord, not sadness. There should be excitement in the house of the Lord, not, not all this negativity. And we, that's why we come. Listen, this is an escape for me. I love coming to this church. What would you do if you didn't have godly leaders like this? Youth, what would you do if you didn't have people like Adam? taking the leadership, loving you with all his heart. Uh, Pastor Joe has been a prayer partner and a friend for all these years. And he said to me when I, when I come up here, he says, I'm heading down. You don't need me. And I looked and I said, yes, I do. 
because we need each other. We need that encouragement. Moses needed it, didn't he? If I prayed for you, I probably prayed. I'm, I'm an Aaron and a her here trying to help you hold up your hands when you are weak, when you are tired. Because we have the Lord, but sometimes it's good to have a brother who can hold your arm while, the, while we're trusting the Lord. Isn't that cool? So, okay, I got to get rolling because I don't want to keep you too long. But if you give me the pulpit more often, I wouldn't take so long today. John 9 through uh, 9, 1 through 7, we're not going to read the whole thing, but it's the story of the man who is blind from birth. You know this, I, if you might know the story, but, and you can put it up there, but I'm not going to read through the whole thing. And what that does is that describes our spiritual state. We are blind from birth because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and we need an awakening, an eye-opening, whatever. And, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am blind. And he kneels down, spits, makes mud, puts it on your eyes. You're like, you're not touching me with that. Because we don't want anybody spitting on us. But do you know that the Jews throughout their history believed that the personality was in the spit? Can you believe that? And only recently have we found out through watching NCIS and CSI that if they want to solve a crime now that's 20 years old, all they need to do is go. And there are people who, who quote this scripture all the time and aren't Christians and don't even know it. He's the spitting image of his dad. Well, what do we need if our eyes are blind? We need the personality of our dad, our father, God, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to touch our eyes and help us see. And if our ears are not hearing clearly, what do we need? We need to be anointed. You know, I feel sometimes when I'm asked to anoint somebody here at the altar, and I put a little cross on your forehead, but the other week, I, I think, of, who was it that came up? Uh, I think Lorraine. And I got down, and I anointed her feet. And I said, Lord, from the feet to the tip of her head, because the anointing of the Old Testament, they just poured a whole bottle. But I figure you'd get mad at me if I pour the whole bottle on you. And so that anointing, it was like, it, oh, it flowed down Aaron's beard. I mean, all this stuff that, that we do symbolically. Now, it, I, I believe it's still powerful, but that man was blind from birth. And, and what happened when Jesus spit and made bud and anointed him? He became the spitting image of his father because now he could see. Mark 12, 42, the widow's might. All these people making a show of their giving. I think it's cool that we don't have the offering plate going through anymore. I love it. And they'll be looking over and saying, how much is love putting in? Oh, I'll put the five on the outside of the one. <laughs> they were trying to make a show of it. Now, the woman comes down and she puts two cents in. Well, who asked for your two cents? God did. He wants your two cents. Oh, and if you don't have two cents, what's he want? What's more important than that? You are. Submit yourselves to God. Give yourself to him. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's your reasonable service. That's what he wants. He doesn't care about the $10,000 or the two cents. It's you that he came to save, not your money. And, and then... Uh, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet in Luke 7. 
the woman anointed Jesus' feet and washed feet, his feet with her tears. So she brings the alabaster box, she anoints Jesus, and she gets down and she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And as, he's, as she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears, I always thought she was just weeping. When you're reading that, don't you think that? When we were in Israel, every place we went, I couldn't believe it. There's these bottles. Some are this big, some are this big, some are this big, some are this big, some are as big as the pulpit, in the shape of tears. And the Jews, because they believe that the personality is in this bed, in the tears, they save their tears at every funeral, at every wedding. Um, I cried at my wedding <laughs> because I, I got to get this right, Lord. I didn't. I didn't really. Sue's watching this on live stream, so I said that for her. So, so what happens is they save their tears every funeral, every wedding, every event. The Jewish guide said, when, Jesus, when this happened, we don't believe the woman, woman was just crying. She may have been. We believe what she was bringing was all her past tears, all her past sorrows, all her past aches and pains and turmoil and torment and sense, sense of helplessness. And she poured all her past on Jesus' feet. And then took her hair and dried his feet with her hair. How many of you would do that? Would you do it? What kind of love is that? And when the woman, the, the uh, and woman in uh, Matthew 26, when she anointed Jesus, they complained. This could have been sold for 75 bucks. That's 300 days wages. 75 bucks doesn't sound good, but in that day it was... 300 days wages. Judas complained. And then, immediately after that, he went and made a deal with the Pharisees to betray Jesus for, get it, $21.60. Now, you think a greedy man like Judas because his, the, his true self was coming out. We hide this stuff. His true self was coming out. Wouldn't you think he'd want more than 21 bucks for Jesus? But you and I, we sell him for much less. Uh, we sell him for a Sunday afternoon football game. Uh, how sad could it be? That we would betray Jesus and not even get a decent amount for it, except death. Well, I was trying to get to this point because in in us there is a there's a sense within us where we want to be right with God, but we're not willing to pay the price, and so. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to try to gear this into our scripture in Ezekiel 8, 2-6. And in this scripture, this is pretty in interesting. I beheld, and lo, a likeness, the appearance of fire, 
from the appearance of his loins downward, fire and from his loins upward, and the appearance of brightness as the color of amber. And he put me, he, and he put forth the form of a hand, and he took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven. Leave that scripture up for me. I was a young kid. We never did anything wrong when we were young, did we? But my mother had said that there was a particular area of town where I could not go to. It was just a couple blocks away as a place called the Red Row. And it was always trouble there. Always trouble. And my mom said, you can go play wherever ever you want in the neighborhood, but don't you go to the Red Row. I was up hanging. I had gone to the Red Row. Kids. And as I'm up there, I'm, I'm talking and we're goofing off with a bunch of the guys. And all of a sudden, from behind, somebody, sweet, spirited lady, who never spanked me in her life, come up behind me and grab me by the hair. And I had long hair then. And she grabbed me by the hair and she said, I thought I told you not to come up here and look where you are. You come with me. I said, Mom, let go of my hair. She says, you're going home and you're staying home. She drugged me. I have never forgotten that story. And when I tell it, it still hurts. <laughs> so this is what happens. He brought me up between the earth and the heaven in the spirit and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looks toward the north, where there was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the, Lord of Israel, the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. I had seen this vision earlier. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes the way towards the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. Now what I'm trying to get to is, what makes God mad? What made Jesus mad going into the temple? What made him angry? What made my mother mad? The disobedience. Why is God angry here? She said, furthermore unto me, Son of man, Seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here, that I should go off, far off from my sanctuary, but turn yet again, you will see even greater abominations. Chapter 8, verses 7 to 12, the next section. We've already seen what's taken place. He brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. He said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I got down and I dug. And when I digged in the wall, behold, there was a door. And he said unto me, go in and behold the wicked abominations they do here. So I went in and saw and behold every form of creeping thing, abominable beast, all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before me the 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, have you seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. Do you understand what God is showing Ezekiel? Their thoughts. 
Now, I've heard in the past preachers talk about a word of knowledge. And they say, oh, and I've even heard of fake preachers who have a little earpiece in their ear and somebody in the back says, oh, this person has cancer. I think there's somebody here named Joan who has cancer. I think this person has an eyesight problem. His name is Harry. And they're getting this stuff and they're praying for the people, pretending to be a word of God. But can you imagine this morning if the Lord gave me a total stranger? I don't know a lot of you. If the Lord came upon me and I started speaking out your name, I saying, this is your sin, this is your sin, and this is what you think in your mind, and this is what you think in your mind, you know what would happen? That place would empty out. Pastor Joe would have to go healing everything this week. And why would you run? Because you're saying, I don't want anybody to know what I've done. God, I'm sorry I've done it. I wish you didn't know. I wish that you didn't know what I think sometimes in church. When I'm in the house of the Lord, in His presence, and we're singing, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the... And I'm looking, I'm saying, there's no joy in me. What can I do? Well, we'll shorten this. And just to say, it got so bad that the Spirit of the Lord left the cherub of the Holy of Holies. And then He left the temple, and He left the city of Jerusalem, the very place that He said, this will be my home forever. It got so bad, God left it. Why was Jesus so angry? Why was the Lord so angry? Not because of this temple. It's this temple. What do I have to do to cleanse this temple? To throw out the money changer attitudes. The pride. The resentment. The jealousies. And then I decided just to share this with you in, in, in closing. Some years before uh, Lennon died, he was in an interview with America, an American magazine, and he said, Christianity will end. It will disappear. I do not have to argue about that, I am certain. Jesus was okay, but his sub subjects were too simple. Today, we are more famous than him. Lennon, shortly after that, was shot six times. Tancredo Neves. Anybody know that name? President of Brazil. During the presidential campaign, he said in 1985, if he got 500 votes from his party, not even God could remove him from the presidency. He got the votes, but a day before being made, pre made president, he got sick and died. Cazuza was a Brazilian composer bisexual, during a show in Rio de Janeiro, while smoking his cigarette, he puffed out some smoke into the air. He said, that's for you, God. He died at the age of 32 of AIDS in a horrible manner. You know the story of the man who built the Titanic says, not even God can sink this ship. Marilyn Monroe was visited by Billy Graham during a presentation 
of a show. He's a preacher, an evangelist, you know him, and the Spirit of God sent him to preach to her. And after hearing what the preacher had to say, she said, I don't need your Jesus. And a week later was found dead in her apartment. Bon Scott, the ex-vocalist of ACDC, on one of his 1979 songs, he sang, Don't Stop Me, I'm Going Down All the Way, All the Way on the Highway to Hell. On the 19th of February, Bon Scott was found dead, choked by his own vomit. In Campinas, Brazil, a group of friends, drunk, went to pick up a friend. The mother accompanied her to the car, was so worried about the drunkenness of her friend, she said to the daughter holding her hand, who was already seated, my daughter, don't go. She said, I'm going. She said, go with God and may he protect you. And she responded, only if he travels in the trunk, because inside here it's full already. Hours later, news came that they had been involved in a fatal accident. Everyone had died. The car could not be recognized what type it had been, but surprisingly, the trunk was intact. The police said that there was no way the trunk should have remained intact. To their surprise, inside the trunk, a crate of eggs, of which none were broken. There's, you, the stories go on and on. Voltaire in the 1800s in England, the Bible will be extinguished in my lifetime. On his death, he was recorded to have cried out, You have beaten me, Jesus of Nazareth. You have beaten me. And his home became a printing press for Bibles. Uh, Dan, I had something planned for you. Would you stand up for me and do it? Ezekiel 33, I have called you to be a watchman. Dads, I have called you to be a watchman for your children and your wife. Ladies, I have called you to be a watchman for your family. Uh, Pastor, you know this scripture. You've been called to be a watchman. Why have you had sleepless nights over people who you've spoken about? You've mentioned them, I think, the last three or four times you've preached people who once served the Lord with us and have backslidden have gone their way. I've called you to be a watchman, and this is what the Scripture says about the watchman in Ezekiel. I give you a trumpet. You stand on the wall. When the enemy comes, when danger approaches, you blow the trumpet. Now, if people, if you do fall asleep and you don't blow the trumpet and you don't warn them, if the people die, they'll die in their sins, but you get the blame. Why do you think ministers take it so serious? But if the watchman blows the trumpet when the enemy is approaching, the people don't listen. They die in their sin, but your hands are clean. People say to me, Major Les, how could you have been a pastor for 43 years and in the pastor be faithful to the Word of God? And I said, because I was afraid of having to pay for other people's sins. I got enough of my own. And you, don't you want your pastor, according to what Paul wrote in the Scripture, don't you want him to be able to give a good report to you before the Lord? A report about you. Oh, they love the Lord. She loves the Lord. Yeah, he's on fire. Yeah, they seek the Lord. Well, Lord, look at those prayer meetings. So I'm encouraging you here today. 
evaluate yourself. Listen to the sound of the trumpet, the voice of your pastors. Listen to them when they warn you, when they come. Um, don't, ha don't have them be heartbroken by having you say, listen, I'm done with that now. I'm done with that stuff now. I want to be right with God. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? Lord Jesus, here today, uh, we want you to know that it is our desire to love you, to seek you, to find you, uh, to come after you with all of our hearts, all of our might, all of our strength, to obey your word. We're not going to tear any of these scriptures out, or not, we're not going to delete them from our phone if they offend us, but we're going to look at them and say, oh, Lord, bring it alive to me. And as we seek you today, we just want you to know that our lives are yours to do with as you want, as you desire. Would you stand with me, please? And I just want to ask, is there anyone here, anyone who, I, you know, I don't know that this scripture really speaks to a lot of God-fearing, seeking Christians. But there may be those here who are really at a point in their lives where they're saying, you know what, Lord, I'm just tired of the, the, the act of it all. I'm tired. Why do you go to church on Sunday morning? Because I, that's what I do. Or my parents do it. Or my kids ask me, why do we come here? We come here to see God and to hear from you. And so if there's anyone here today that really needs prayer for the Lord to light a fire within them and devour the sin. Remember when uh, Moses was at the burning bush and the, and the, uh, the bush was not consumed, but the Lord spoke out of that. And, and uh, what God wants to do is not to devour you, not to destroy you, but he wants to take the things out that are keeping you from being all that you want to be, all that you ought to be, and all that he wants you to be. Thank you, Jesus.